0: Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, as Tara said, if you're a sucker for romance, you definitely need to check it out. Uh, this is The Princess Bride, which is on the list of, by the American Film Institute's 100 Greatest Film Love Stories. But it's not just a romance. Guys, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with it, it is also on Bravo's list of the 100 funniest movies of all time. So it's one of those rare movies that kind of crosses over several types of of films and has, in fact, developed kind of a cult following over the years. It it has been considered, uh, with some other ones, one of the most quotable films of all time. And... She mentioned it, but maybe you can, some of you can finish this line for me. Hello. Yes. There you go. We got some folks in here who know it. Hello, my name is Enigo Montoya. And I don't have the accent. You, you killed my father. Prepare to die. And, and it's spoken like six times. It's, I, I tell you, it's just inconceivable that you don't know that line because it is in fact on the AFI's list of the 100 most quotable uh, quotes in movies. In fact, families have told me that they know the movie so well, they talk it back and forth to each other, they can say all the lines back and forth. And this is, The Princess Bride is one of the five movies that you picked for this series at the movies, where our goal is not just simply to lift up a movie, that's not the point at all, but to find Christian truths in these films that apply to our lives today. Learning to see Christ in movies, in life in general, day in and day out, is is this incredible gift, this skill even, because it enables us to keep Jesus front and center in our lives all the time. Not just when I come to church on Sunday, but that I begin to perceive how I can learn about him and perceive his action and his work in my life each day, all throughout my day, it helps us learn from the Spirit in every setting so that we live out our faith throughout the day. It's not simply a one hour on Sunday because God intends it to be our lives, our lifestyle, not just an act, an occasional act. Last week we began with the movie The Avengers, in which we saw that we're better together. This week we're looking at The Princess Bride. Princess Bride came out 28 years ago, 1987. And at the time, it only grossed 30 million at the movies, which many of you know, there are movies, some movies opening today that will make that much in one day versus its whole run. Critics give it, gave it good reviews, continue to give it good reviews. It's on the, the website, Rotten Tomatoes, has a 97% score. Very eclectic cast, Carrie Elway's, Robin Wright, Billy Crystal, Uh, is is an amazing in there fairly early in his career. Mandy Patinkin, uh, Carol Kane, Peter Falk from Columbo fame. How many of you remember Columbo? Good, some of you remember. That was a great, great show. Fred Savage from the Wonder Years and who else? Andre the Giant. Yeah, there you go, I'm just gonna confess there. That's Andre on the right. Uh, on the left is Sean Wallace. He's only five foot two, so that's not a fair comparison. But Mandy Patinkin in the middle is six foot one. Andre is seven foot four, five hundred plus pounds. And I, I mean, I, I just got to tell y'all, when I went to college, I, was, I went to college up at Louisiana Tech, Ruston. Um, one weekend, we heard that Andre, the giant, was coming to Monroe. And a bunch of us guys went over and watched Andre the Giant wrestle. So I just got to, I, that's one of my big claims to fame. I actually saw Andre the Giant wrestle. And I mean, that guy is massive, he's so big, and, and he does all this stuff. You know, it, it, what's interesting is to, to hype him as the Giant. Early in his, his wrestling career, he was able to do a lot of acrobatic moves that they asked him not to do because they didn't think a Giant would do that. So they kind of toned down his wrestling skills to make more of his size, and it, 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 it's really fun. It was fun to watch, you know. There's, well, never mind all the stuff about wrestling. That's another story. But um, a little piece of trivia in the movie, if you're familiar with the movie, if you've seen the movie, you know that there's one scene where um, Carrie Elwes as Wesley is is wrestling Andre the Giant, kind of has him in a sleeper hold, and uh, Andre had just had surgery prior to the, to the film, being fi- to the filming, and so he literally could not hold little Carrie Elwes on his back. That had to, he had to be supported on there, and at the end of the movie, where um, Buttercup jumps out of the window, and he's supposed to catch her and hold her, um, that had to be stage two. He, he literally, because of his surgery, he couldn't even hold Buttercup up. Now, he recovered because he was able to pick up big guys later on. But it, it's, a, it, it's an interesting story, a lot of uh, other stuff behind the scenes. The, the Princess Bride itself is a story within a story of a grandfather, Columbo, or Peter Falk, um, reading a story to his grandson, who is sick. In the story, a young woman named Buttercup lives on a farm and has a, a farm boy, Wesley, who always answers her commands with as you wish, as you wish. And eventually she realizes that every time he says that, he really means, I love you. And she soon comes to love him as well. And so Wesley, nothing but a farm boy, but he decides to set out and seek out his fortune. But in the story we're told, his ship was attacked by the dread pirate Roberts, who is known for never leaving anyone alive. I don't wanna give away the whole story, but, but needless to say, he didn't actually die, but he was captured and some several years later as Buttercup prepares to marry Prince Humperdinck. Now if some of you haven't seen the movie, you're thinking, okay, you, you gotta be kidding me. Buttercup, Humperdinck, what is this? Okay, just, just go with us. Um, uh, Wesley, now who is now the dread pirate Roberts himself, seeks her out against all odds as he overcomes the Spanish master fencer Inigo Montoya the giant Fezzik, Andre the Giant, and their Sicilian boss Vecini. And ultimately, in fact, Prince Alperdink himself, who is only using Buttercup to advance his own evil expansion of the empire. So it's a story of true love, of of relentless love, of marriage and, and things like that. And In that regard, it really is a great romantic story. Here, watch just this little bit. True love. 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 True, love. True, love. You heard him? true love is the greatest thing in the world, except for nice M L T. What lettuce and tomato sandwich? Well, one thing that that struck me in this movie is trying to look where, what can we learn. From From god here what what does he want to show us is that wesley's true love his relentless love for buttercup is a picture of an even greater love of the love of god his relentless love his undying his unstoppable love as we just sang for you and for me even though the dread pirate roberts captured wesley wesley eventually wins his freedom becomes in fact himself the Dread Pirate Roberts, and then the rest of the film is about him relentlessly seeking his true love. And a big chunk of that movie is, is what he's doing, his relentless pursuit of Buttercup. In the end, even overcoming, according to Miracle Max, being only mostly dead to save her and express his true undying love for her. At one point, Wesley says to Buttercup, hear this now, I will always come for you, She asks, but how can you be sure? And Wesley replies, this is true love. You think this happens every day? And I would say to us on an infinitely greater scale, we see the God of the universe, the creator of everything, pursuing us with a relentless love. a a true love that never gives up, that never quits. While human true love may not happen every day in every circumstance, God's relentless love never stops. It never pauses. It never takes a break. It never backs down. It's not put off if you and I aren't doing our best or if we're kind of ambivalent about god or 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 if we're running from god or or in fact if we deny he even exists in fact that is when his love becomes the most obvious in romans it says god showed his great love for us by sending christ to die for us while we were still sinners while we were still sinners not Okay, Christ, I commit my life to you, so now I'm, he's gonna die for me. No, while I was opposed in, to him and working against him, while we're still sinners, says he, he wasn't loving us because, just because we had a change of heart. His love for us did not begin until we realized, did not begin when we realized how great a God he was and wanted to follow him. It didn't begin then. It didn't begin because we 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 saw something in him and we wanted to be blessed by him. His love began for us with the foundation of the world, with the creation of all that there is, as an inherent part of his very nature. Because his love created us. He created you, he created me, he created every person you know. He, he loves those who are in our midst, he loves those who aren't in our midst, he loves those who don't even want to be in our midst. He created us, and his love will always claim each one of us forever. That is is true love. It was a choice God made because he loved us even while we were far from him. It says in 1 John, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him this is real love not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins as john puts it here god's relentless love chose to to send his son jesus christ to die in our place to take our sins upon himself to stand in for us and what We had done wrong, and all that God could hold against us, Jesus took our place so that we could be free from the power of sin and and love him back freely. I want to tell you, it's inconceivable that God could relentlessly love us that much. And yet that is the picture we see over and over and over again through the Bible. From seeking us all through the scriptures of the Old Testament, constantly in those times when we were apart from him and and not even seeking him, calling us back to himself, to the New Testament where God took the extreme act of becoming one of us so he could take away our sins, the Bible says, and show how much he loved us. In fact, I would argue that the Bible is the greatest love story ever told of a God over hundreds and even thousands of years continued to pursue you, to pursue me, to pursue each one of us relentlessly, to let us know he loves us, he cares for us, he will never stop. No matter how we respond, no matter whether we care or not, he pursues us. His unstoppable love never pauses. He was willing to sacrifice everything. The Bible says in Philippians 2, through Christ, though Christ Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The Son of God, who always existed, who was a part of God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God who created all that there is, chose to be obedient to his heavenly Father in order to defeat sin and death so we could be free to receive God into our lives. I want to tell you, God has been relentlessly pursuing you all of your days. Doesn't matter whether you put your hand up or you welcomed him in. Doesn't matter whether you denied his existence or you've known from the as long as you can remember that he must be there. He has never stopped and will never stop pursuing you, claiming you, demonstrating to you his love. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's why Jesus came, not to be a good storyteller, not to be written about. He came on a mission for you, for me, and for those who don't even want to be here this morning. you got to hear his relentless love is pursuing and wooing those who don't even want to be here, who don't even want to admit he's real, who deny him publicly. He has not even given up on them. That was the mission of Jesus, to seek us out, who don't yet know the good news of his love for us, and so who are lost, ultimately, trying to find value and worth in the world's pursuits. As in the Old Testament, we get a picture of people pursuing ungodly passions and experiences over and over again, even as as God pursues us because of his great love for us. And, And from that love then comes his desire to woo us, to woo you, me, all of us back to himself. Why? Not because he's egocentric. Because he wants us to avoid hurt. He wants us to avoid damaging our lives. He wants to undo the damage sin is doing in us today. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, Jesus shows us just how powerful this relentless love is for us, uh, beginning even with the people he was meeting with. And we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 15, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke 15. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And... Um, Open there, if you have your mobile device, you can pull that out and go to the YouVersion Bible app and open to the live page. If you have neither of those, we have notes in the bulletin that you can take that have the scriptures and places where you can make some notes if that's helpful to you. Jesus begins this this chapter, this passage, with the people, talking about the people he's meeting with, begins verse one, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them the story. He's telling us here, before we even dive into the stories, that some, including the religious elite, would say that, that Jesus had a funny way of showing love Because he was eating with and and around these moral and social outcasts, these ones that he should have known to stay away, keep away from, that they were bad for him. And yet, what is the truth? The truth is he pursues them. He wants to be with them, he wants that more than anything. He desires to spend time with them. Christianity has always argued, in fact, that one of the clearest pictures of God's relentless love for us is that he has always been willing to seek out the least, the last, and the lost, and be with them. Not to shun them, not to push them away, but in fact to seek them out. To show them they are valued by him no matter what the world says. In fact, he generally found the obvious sinners, to be more open to him than the religious elite who seemed to think that they were above somehow those outcasts that didn't have time for that. But Jesus knew all of us sin, all of us fall short of the glory of God, all of us are r- religious outcasts in the eyes of God and his holy perfection. And so our salvation has always been a gift for every single human being. And the The ungrateful and the arrogant were demonstrating just how far they really were from God. But Jesus sought them out. He wasn't willing to just let them go. He didn't give up. There was was no one he didn't seek out demonstrating to us, to the world, this relentless love of God for every single person. So even the audience that Jesus is speaking to here in Luke chapter 15 demonstrates his relentless love for all of us. Then he proceeds to tell these stories that, for, for many of you, these parables may be very well known, but he tells three, back to back to back. First, he tells us the parable of the lost sheep of a shepherd who was caring for a 100 sheep. One of them wandered off, and instead of staying close with the 99, he leaves them in order to pursue the one that is lost. He was, rather than be content with what he had, the 99, he left them behind to seek out the one sheep. And and it says in verse 5, When he had found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Isn't that a great picture? Sometimes you see a picture of that of Jesus with a sheep on his shoulders, hind legs, front legs, and he's there, and the picture I sometimes see, he's smiling as he is bringing home that lost sheep. Immediately, Jesus tells a second parable, a parable about the lost coin of a woman who had 10 silver coins, which is a significant wealth for her. Loses one, immediately she searches the whole house until, thankfully, she finds it. In verse 9, it says, when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And then Jesus repeats what may have been a surprising thought to some of them then and now as he points to how this impacts his listeners who, who may not have felt very loved, especially by the the very religious people who are the ones you would expect to champion God's love. Verse 10, it says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. There is joy and celebration in heaven. I don't know if you noticed as we were showing the baptisms, we baptized 34 children, students, and adults two weeks ago after our summer kids club, and... and As we baptize each one of them, you don't hear the sound, but there are people screaming and yelling, and we're clapping and applauding. Why? Because we know that in the moment when each of those individuals turned their life to Christ, there was screaming and applauding in heaven. The applause of heaven as an individual made that decision to trust Christ, to not go it alone anymore, to believe that God really does love them. And so we want to be loud. We know we probably can't be as loud as heaven, but we try. We really try because it is the most important single decision any human being ever makes. It's the only decision a human being makes that changes their eternity. And no one else can make that decision for us. My parents can't make it for it. My spouse can't make it for me. My children can't do it. My best friend can't. It is my decision and my decision alone. It is your decision, your decision alone. But the good news is that when even one who is lost, whom God has been pursuing all their days, turns to God and commits their life to Christ, heaven erupts in joy and celebration. Which brings us to the third parable, the parable of the lost son, or what is maybe perhaps more commonly known as the prodigal son. A son goes to his father and, and asks him for his inheritance. Now, in biblical times, to do that was essentially to say to dad, dad, I don't care about you anymore. You don't exist. Give me the, the inheritance that is due me. I'm gonna act as if, you're not, as if you're dead. And the father, even though this was very, very cruel thing for the son to do, the father does it. He gives the son his inheritance. And the son takes off, goes to a distant land, and soon he wastes it all. And in fact, the, the, Jesus tells us in the story he's reduced to menial labor, doesn't even have enough food to eat with the money he earns. And it says he comes to himself and realizes that even his father's servants back home were eating better than he is. So he, he, he confesses to God his sin and decides to head home with the hope that this father of his whom he, he denied, whom he uh, said was dead to him, uh, that this father would at least extend enough mercy to him to hire him on as a servant to work so he could buy food. And it's this incredible picture, though. So he returns home to his father, says in verse 20, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now, understand, if he's not standing and watching for his son, he's not going to see him coming. If if the first thing we hear is the son opened the door and came into the house, and then the father saw him, it means he's just kind of waiting and going on about his life. The fact that it says he saw him coming Something insignificant was going on here. And it goes on to say, and when he saw him coming, he crossed his arms, and he put a scowl on his face, and he started tapping his toe and waiting for his son to come and beg for mercy. No. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His father welcomed him home, and not, not just back, but back into his family, in spite of all that he had done. It was inconceivable, but this relentless love of the father restored this prodigal as his son, even though the son certainly never deserved it. And that is our story, this, this picture of this father who, who has such relentless love for you and me that even though we do not deserve to be welcomed back because of the sins we have committed, like the father, he spots us coming and he meets us where we are. He runs to meet us all the while, not knowing if we ever will turn, but he's always there watching, waiting. And in fact, the the scripture has a very interesting insight here because it says the father ran. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. I mean, we'll go home this afternoon, some of us put on our shorts and run, or do whatever, it's not a big deal. But in the time of Jesus, men wore robes, and the robes went all the way down to the feet. Why? Because they considered it distasteful, they considered it um, um, gross for men to show their legs. It was, it was a, a terrible thing to do. Uh, you, you were ridiculed for doing it. And yet, Jesus is very clear that the Father didn't wait for the Son to come to him. He didn't walk out to meet to him. He ran. Ladies, you know the answer better than most guys. How do you run in a long, floor-length skirt? You gotta pick it up. The very nature of running requires him to disgrace himself. The very nature of running means that he has to demonstrate to the people around him, his, his servants, maybe other family, neighbors, that he doesn't care. He will do whatever it takes to run to his son, to welcome him, to meet him at the point where he first sees him. He will disgrace himself. He doesn't care if people say, did you see that guy? I don't want to have anything to do. He said, my son is worth it. I'm not gonna be proud and stand back. I'm not gonna wait and let him come groveling to me. When my son turned to me and became, the first moment I saw him, I ran to him because I loved him, because I cared about him, because he is mine. He is my son. His relentless love for his son let him be willing to do anything for him. And in, in the movie, we saw Wesley was willing to face any danger, including death, to reunite with his, his buttercup. The, the picture there on such an infinitely greater scale is of this relentless love of God the Father. And in fact, the Bible tells us that God the Father loves each one of us so much that he too was willing to endure death, the death of his son for us. For every single one of us, not just some of us, not just the good folks here, but for some of you who are thinking, I can think of all the things I've done wrong. Yes, all of us can. And the Father ran to you as well. He comes to you, he never gives up, he never stops pursuing you. The Bible tells us God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And with that in mind, there are a couple of things that I want you to go away with this morning, to take away. First, you need to hear that God is pursuing you with a relentless love. I mean you, I'm talking to you singularly. I I, I mean no matter who you think you are, whether or not you deserve it or not, whether you believe it or not, the testimony of our faith, the the belief we have that we stand in, the, the testimony of God's word is that nothing can deter him from seeking you and affirming he loves you just the way you are right now in this very minute. And what's more, he's not only seeking you who are in a church this morning, he's seeking and pursuing those who don't even want to be in a church, who don't have time for church, who don't believe in church, who don't believe in God. He's pursuing them. He's pursuing the ones who fight against his cause, who, who would like to commit evil in their lives. He is pursuing them. Many of you know that. Many of you know that. Many of you stand strong in that, but some of you aren't really feeling it right now. Maybe there's stuff going on in your life that's causing you to question, if God, if he really loves you, does he really care, why is this happening to me? But that's exactly why you and I need to not just go by our feelings of when things are hard, as for some of you, they are, but to claim by faith, God loves me to stand on the scripture, to stand on God's word, no matter how I feel. Because my feelings can always be betrayed. My feelings can be influenced. My feelings can be misled. This is a choice. This is an act of faith that in this minute and I want to tell you, there's nothing the devil loves more than to get you and me down on ourselves, to doubt his love, to doubt he cares about you, to doubt that your life couldn't matter, that Jesus would die for you. Maybe for those good people, or maybe for someone else, but for you. And if you doubt that, or if you doubt he loves you, then you're hearing the enemy. The word of God says God so loved the world, he loved you, that he gave his only son. That's the word you and I need to stand on. Don't believe the lies. And for some of you who have never committed your life to Jesus, you need to hear that he's been seeking you with a relentless love, and he always will. He sent his son for you. For you, not just for those of us who already have somehow managed to get it, but for you as well. You matter so much to him, so so. Make this the day that you surrender to the love of God, to his relentless love for you, and let him fully into your life. Those 34 people who were baptized, they had made that decision at some earlier point. And they wanted to stand up and they wanted to say to the world and they wanted to, an act that they could stand on for themselves as a reminder, yes, I have known that Jesus Christ died for me, for me. And I will continue to claim that the rest of my days. And here in a few moments as we finish, I'm going to give, if, if you want to make that decision today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, that, pray for that to happen this morning. But once, the second thing is, once we realize He does love us, for many of you who know that or are coming to that terms with that, you know that He loves you deeply and all that it cost Him for you, for me, that He was able to save us, then you and I need to know we then must carry that good news of God's relentless love for others to others. It's not something I just rest in or I, I celebrate. Look at me, I'm saved. No. It is, look what he has done for me, and because he has done that for me, he has given me the opportunity, the blessing, to take that good news to others, to share that message of hope that people in this world are dying to know, who believe that there is no hope. You have family members. You have friends. You have coworkers. You have children or parents who don't believe that God cares about them, and they, not just, they don't just need to hear you talk about God's love for you. They need to know that God loves them. And we, we understand that God has called us as a church, as the bride of Christ, to join him in reaching those who are disconnected from God. And it doesn't mean that every person is going to accept that truth. But it means that God has given you and me the opportunity to tell others of his true love a love that never quits, a love that is relentlessly pursuing those around them that to them may seem inconceivable, but yet it is truth. It's a love that will never pull back, that will never falter. It's part of our culture here at Gateway to be a gateway of faith for those who have whatever reason, become disconnected from God. Because we want to join him in offering his relentless love, to live his relentless love for the sake of the world around us. It's the only way way we know to change our world as well as to change our families and friends. You know, if you don't like the way the world is, laws and armies aren't gonna ultimately fix it. The only thing that will change the world is to change the hearts of human beings. And the only one who can change a heart is God when people discover that he loves them and his son died for them. It's why we take that good news beyond us. It's why we serve because serving is nothing more than love in action. It's saying to people who come here, yes, I could have stayed at home or yes, it would have been more easier for me to be up here one hour instead of two but I want you to know that God loves you and I'm gonna demonstrate that by my actions. That I'm going to give up some of my time. That I could be doing something else. That I'm going to do something for the sake of others. I'm going to put the love of God that has pursued you in action. I want to join in what God is doing. That's the culture we want our church to have. That's the way we want to live. So that serving is not something a few handful of people do. It's something every person in this church family does because we know God loves us and by golly we are going to take that love to others and we're going to live it out in front of them no matter what because they need to hear it they need to experience it they need to know it's real because too many people tell them it's not the case they need to know that God is using us as instruments of his love and grace Hootie Sok told her Christian college friends, leave me alone, quit praying for me. In fact, she described herself as a Cambodian Buddhist girl. Even though she was from Long Beach, California, grew up in Dallas, Texas. She said, I, I figured I was Buddhist because my parents told me I was Buddhist. I thought Christianity was just a religion for Americans. And eventually she came to consider herself a an an evangelistic atheist challenging others to prove that God exists. Well, she started college at University of Texas in 2008. And one of her goals was to develop some more relationships. And lo and behold, she did. And it turned out that some of those people who she had relationships with were Christians, a part of a, a student ministry there on campus. And during her sophomore year, she said, She hit the wall. She said, I began to see that everything I was doing was becoming meaningless. If what I was doing didn't have eternal meaning, then it was all in vain. She began to think, if God is real, he ought to be able to hear my prayers. So each night she began to pray that he would begin to help her understand what she'd been hearing from her friends because it didn't make sense to her. It seemed foolishness to her that God could love her, that he died for her. Hootie said then one day she entered a closet in that student ministry building and there was a, uh, it was a prayer room that they were using and there was a bowl in it with a lot of sheets of, of paper and she started lifting up and looking at them and, and many of them had her name on it that members of that ministry had been putting in to pray for her and, and, and to continue doing that. She saw her name and she, it, it struck her then how strongly she had urged her friends not to pray for her and yet they had loved her enough that they prayed for her anyway, that they didn't listen to what she said. They did what they believed was best for her. She said she burst into tears that day in that little prayer room all by herself and said, God was softening my heart even then. The next night, she felt that God was asking her for a specific response, so finally she prayed to receive Christ into her life. And she said, all of a sudden, I had this desire to go and share with people, share that God is real and he has changed my heart. The good news is today, she is back in school preparing for full-time ministry. Maybe you could be like some of Pudi's friends. People maybe who are disconnected from God, and you can be praying for them, and you can be bringing to them in in various ways a message that God loves them. It doesn't have to always be be spoken or be said in a way that is, is... Is pushy, but just never give up on them, because God never gave up on you. And some of you have that opportunity to do that—to begin to live out that relentless love of God and prayer, pray for another. Or maybe you could be like Pootie herself—you've been holding God off, you've been keeping Him at at arm's length, even though He has been pursuing you with a relentless love, a love that will never quit he won't quit. He will never stop seeking you. He will never stop pursuing you. He will never give up on you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you think, no matter what lies you buy into, he will never quit. And so maybe today is your day to welcome him into your life. To say, God, I surrender. Say, I believe you do love me. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I don't know how I could be worthy of it. But you have been pursuing me. And I am going to surrender to that love now. Maybe it's time for you to say to God as you wish. As I pray here in a moment, if you want to welcome him into your life, I'll give you an opportunity to pray and I'd ask you to pray it to God. You don't have to say it out loud, but pray. And then after you do that, when the service is over, our prayer team will be down here if you want to talk to one of them. But at the very least, tell someone today what you did. Let it be known to someone. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your love that has claimed us for for your own. That we, even though we don't deserve it, even though we we couldn't earn it, no matter how hard we tried, you have been relentlessly pursuing us. You have sought us with a relentless love that has never let go. You want us more than life itself, so that you sent your son to die on our behalf. Father, for those of us who've had a hard time believing that, Or remembering that, help us today to reclaim that or claim it for the first time. And for those of us who are claiming it, Father, help us to pray this now. Dear Lord, I confess that I have run from you, that I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Through the death of Christ on the cross, help me to believe that in fact now my sins are forgiven. And I welcome you into my life as Savior, but also as Lord, as Master, so that you may continue to work in me through the power of your Spirit to transform me more and more every day to live like Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, coming into my life. I profess him now as Savior and Lord and King. And for the rest of us, Father, who have made that decision, but sometimes forget or get pulled away, help us to reaffirm he loves me. He loves me. And he pursues me when I drift away. Help me to love as he has loved. Help me to serve as he has served. Help me to live that out by taking this good news to those who need it desperately. Help me, Father, to be relentless in my love for those around me because you have been relentless in your love for me. It's inconceivable, but you love us. May we live that love the rest of our days may we claim it when we stand in it strong by your grace through the power of your spirit we ask this we pray this in the name of jesus amen learn more about us visit www.gateway-community.org welcome to your journey